This is Bite Size History with the Saints. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is Bite Size History with the Saints. Hey everyone, it's Megan. And it's Bradley. So this week we're going to talk about the recipe from yesterday. We had a bit of a snap food with it. Yeah, you know, it starts off with we couldn't get the meat that we were wanting. We couldn't find, well, I take that back. We found, what was it, moose or elk? It was elk. And it was $75. Yeah, we, we decided that was not going to be worth it. No. So then we pivoted to crab. And that was a mistake. <laughs> so one, we bought we bought a whole crab that's frozen, which is fine in sound. It didn't defrost in time. Um, and also, we learned we have absolutely no idea what we're doing with crab. No. Um, I don't know if it's because we grew up in the Midwest. No, it is. It's definitely because we grew up in the Midwest. We, we don't have crabs in the Midwest unless they're in regions. Yeah, like... You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like, we... We but like I at least I know I've had crab legs before, but I was like five and they scared the hell out of me. So yeah, I, and I thought back on it and I was like I think I've only ever had lobster. I don't think I've ever had crab, and I had no idea. Like I I knew crab legs, but I didn't know if you could eat what was inside the crab, <laughs> like the the main body part of it. I, I just kind of figured that was all its internal organs and that wasn't. Apparently there's meat in there. Yeah, it led to a lot of us doing really random Google searches that seems like something that most people would just know. Well, if you live on the coastline, you probably just know. Yeah, like I imagine our friend from Maryland was cackling the whole time when I was messaging her about, like, I have no idea what we're doing. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know how to get into the meat in the center without just taking a hammer to it. Yeah, like... We were trying to figure out, like, how do we even open it once we have it done? And I found the nutcracker. I'm hoping that's actually going to work. Well, yeah, the nutcracker should work for, like, the legs. Yeah. But I, 
I don't know how to get to the meat on the inside of it, so I might just have to take it outside and bash it with a hammer. <laughs> and probably lose all the meat in the process. I don't know. That's like a very traditional method. I mean, maybe. Hit it against a rock a couple times? Yeah, as we say, just taking, start swinging it. All I know is that our crab was missing a leg and another claw, one of the claws. But it, there's a lot, there's a large learning curve for us here. Well, and I didn't realize, I don't like the look of crabs. They kind of scare me. Um, which is a really weird thing to say, but like, I don't think I've had this kind of like phobia over a food since we made the rabbit. But like enough that I wouldn't go near it. It has eyes. It's really creepy. Yeah, it's it's a crab. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's a Brad job. That's what it is. Yeah, which is fine. I just Brad doesn't know what Brad is doing. Yeah, like it, the whole thing is just crazy. So I imagine it's kind of like you know our ancestors, the first time they decided to take and like cook a crab. Yeah, you know, and that's another thing. Like, we were told to boil it. I don't know if they boiled it or if they, like, stabbed it with a, sta- a spear and then, like, just set it on a fire. I don't know how they cooked crab. I mean, if they did that, the shell would probably come off a lot easier. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do some more investigations into <laughs> what our options would have been. Sea creatures are weird. They are weird. They are really weird. So, from there, um, one of the big things that we did is the... Part of the dish that was supposed to be the side became the main, uh, specifically using North American wild rice and kidney beans and kind of making like a red beans and rice. Um, The wild rice is actually the only native rice species to the Americas. It's actually not even related to the kind of rice we would find in like Asia. And it looks nothing like rice. No, it it looks like, a, if you look at it when it's growing, it looks like a very tall grass. Yeah, I was going to say the, well, I don't know, what do you call it, kernels, the, the rice itself, <laughs> um, it just looks like, uh, you know, seeds Yeah. off of grass. Like I described in the blog, it's almost as if somebody took a piece of rice and wrapped it in a leafy exterior. Yeah, and they're really, really dark, um, but they're, it's weird because they're dark, but like as they cook, they open up and you have like this light brown color that comes out. It's a very strange thing. Yeah. Now that being said, it's delicious. Oh my gosh. It like literally all we did was add salt and it was a very comforting, reasonable dish. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth a make. And I don't, the uh, rice itself wasn't expensive. No, it was only about six bucks for a box. Yeah. Uh, Quite often, they're now, the species that we would have access to is commonly commercially farmed in, like, California and Minnesota. So, you know, it's one of those kind of things of, like, sometimes they'll call them, like, California wild rice. It's it's still the wild rice. Yeah. No, I I would recommend it. I gave it five out of five stars. And we'd do it again. (laughs) I only gave it a four out of five, mostly because I realized that some of the other ingredients that are commonly used in Native American dishes for this rice, like throwing in dried cranberries or pumpkin seeds, would have been a nice addition to have put in. It would have given it a little bit more flavor. See, I felt like it was flavorful enough, but that's just me. Got a very bland palate. No, I think that, you know, I mean, there's a reason that 
you know, red beans and rice is a staple. Yeah. And it's, you know, in my opinion, it's because it tastes good. It fills you up. And, you know, it does everything that a food is supposed to do. I think that adding in, like, dried cranberries might have made it too tart. Mm. And I think the pumpkin seeds would have thrown the flavor way off. That's fair. Because pumpkin is such a distinct flavor, especially Mm. pumpkin seeds, that I feel like it would have just kind of thrown the whole thing out of view. And I probably wouldn't have given it such a high marking. So I think the big key takeaway from this is the dish is so versatile that you can add things to it based on your preferences. Yeah. Or just leave it as is. Yeah. I recommend leaving it as is. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those kind of things that, like, if we had access to the proper wild onion that exists in North America, I think that would have also been a great addition. Yeah, I think an onion would have actually gone well with it because it's already a savory dish. Yeah. And, you know, adding onion, I think, would have actually complemented it pretty yeah. well. Yeah, it definitely would have been a nice addition. But as we're moving on away from North America, we're heading into Europe, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, she thinks that red beans and rice is plain. <laughs> oh, she's got awakening. It's going to be a life of turnips, turnips everywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like I don't really know much about the native foods from the Euro- from Europe. I have vague ideas but this is going to be kind of new territory for me even um so that's going to be fun yeah because we know from different archaeological sites and trade that europe kind of becomes like one big blur yeah and so we don't really have to be super selective on the ingredients we can kind of do like one or two spots before we move on to africa yeah we probably will end up avoiding like england and ireland yeah um, they don't really have much in the way of native foods as it is anyway. <laughs> I don't particularly feel like eating, um, you know, cattails. If you, you know, the things that grow along the sides uh, in the marshy areas along uh, riverbanks or along lakes, um, I don't know the proper name for them. They're just cattails. Uh, you can eat the roots of the cattail, but. Being from where we're at, you don't go near the cattails because that's, you know, snakes like to live in cattails. <laughs> so I've never had cattail root, and I don't even know how to get cattail root. Yeah, I don't think it really would be an option. No, but probably just sticking more with, you know, the mainland uh, Europe and probably not spending much time there. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, one of the big things with Europe and it's kind of a constant reminder the reason why they kept leaving Europe to travel the world was partially because there was something they were wanting yeah and I imagine it's because their life was turnips yeah I mean that's the thing is there's a reason that we often choose to live along coastlines and it's because coastlines have you know an abundance of food you've got a bunch of different food that you can just get right off the beach if you have a boat you can go out and get a little bit more food that way the interior gets a little more difficult and then you find people living along riverbanks and i don't really know what to expect i i don't because farming started in you know the fertile crescent and then it spread its way through you know the old world 
uh, well, I say it spread its way because there was actually other farming events like China happened. Um, they started farming at about the same time that the Fertile Crescent started farming. Uh, India started farming, I think it was a little bit after, but it wasn't that they learned it from the Fertile Crescent. It's just it developed independently on its own. And Europe itself, it took a long time for farming to spread throughout Europe because the Mesolithic the time period I study starts you know, about 12,000 years ago and goes to around 4,000 years ago. By that time, for England and Ireland at least, by that time farming was already well underway and the Fertile Crescent and, you know, 4,000 years ago the pyramids were built. So it took its, it took its sweet time making its way through to uh, the other reaches. And I think a large part of that's probably to do with the fact that farming is not fun. <laughs> it's tedious, backbreaking, and the archaeological record and skeletal remains, we can actually see just how detrimental farming was to those you know, early farmers. Uh, we start to see the hunchbacks starting to appear more often because, you know, they're constantly hunched over. So you've got vertebrae that are, you know, they don't look like they should. Uh, you get, when you start grinding grain with a mortar and pestle, if you're using a stone mortar and pestle, stop using it. Go out, get yourself a stainless steel one with a stainless steel uh, uh, mortar. Or, yeah, mortar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Got my <laughs> things mixed up. Because we actually seen in the archaeological record, and even to this day, as you're grinding whatever you're grinding with the stone mortar and pestle, little flakes of that stone break off into your food. And then you put that into your mouth, and as you're chewing, it breaks the enamel down on your teeth, thus causing you to have bad teeth and we actually start to see in the dental record a sharp increase in missing teeth, uh, abscessed, all those things that, you know, lead to a very painful life. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things is like farming is a boon, but also a curse to a certain degree. It allowed for a mass amount of food and populations to grow, but it also kind of changed how we fundamentally functioned. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like 
farming in and of itself, as a species, it was great. But then as a species, it was horrible all at the same time. Because, you know, it brought a bunch of people into areas that a bunch of people had never been before. You get conflicting ideals, you get clashes, and all of that fun stuff. Farming for the planet has not it's not been good for the planet as we've developed new farming methods and new farming technologies we just ransacked our planet and said it's in the name of food and it's that catch-22 you know an increased population is going to demand increased amounts of food and we're working on ways to find more sustainable methods of getting that food but it's slow and it's slow and coming and a large part of that's because the governments don't want to invest into it. Yeah. Because they don't either see a need for it or, you know, they just genuinely don't care. So it's that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of the big thing that we've gotten to with this is as we move forward, it's figuring out kind of what our ancestors did but also what might have gone wrong because no matter what you know our history is our history yeah and the ugly parts of it are also part of it well that's the thing is like you have a bad season and people starve and if you have multiple bad seasons and you don't manage to produce any food that way what we actually see was oftentimes these groups of people that were farming had to go back to living as hunter and gatherers because that was the only way for them to get food and through unsustainable farming practices you know planting the same crop year after year it destroys the ground planting uh your crop in the wrong area it, you might be getting a little bit of salt more, uh, too much salt into your soil so that's going to destroy your crops after a while it's all these things that many, many, many times throughout history, civilizations have collapsed because there was just not enough food. And they either become another civilization or they disband, they go off, they do their own thing as hunter-gatherers, and then eventually they come back together. It's 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 a reciprocal, not a reciprocal. Uh, it's cylindrical. That's the word. Cylindrical process. It, it just... As our population continues to grow and we don't have enough food to supply that population, you know, you start to see what's going on in some parts of the world where people will riot just to take and get the smallest bag of rice because they're starving and their governments have let them down. And then the world power governments have let everybody else down because... You know, where they've got the technology and the ability to invest and figure this out, they've decided no. And now I'm getting into that topic that I said was for another day. <laughs> Every week, Brad gets closer and closer to talking about uh, the world hunger crisis. I mean, it would be fitting for this podcast. It would be, because food and history would definitely lead to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen it multiple times. Yeah. Well, and that's the big thing. It's, you know, continuing to think about how, we, as we produce these kind of recipes, understanding the cultures that they came from and the methods that they used and the logic that they would have used and collecting the ingredients and things along those lines. 
Um, but it's also important to kind of remember that a lot of this was centuries in the making. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we didn't just wake up one morning and go, I should plant that. <laughs> it wasn't a over overnight process. There's a couple different theories into how we actually started to farm. Uh, my favorite theory is, you know, hunter and hunter gatherers, they follow the migrational patterns of the animal. So they'll come back around to the same spots pretty often. And through that, you know, as, as you're walking along, you have bodily functions that you have to attend to. So what the theory goes is that as we started coming back around more often, they started to notice, well, this plant isn't from here. You know, that plants, you know, that direction, four days walk. So how did it get here? And then they start to realize, okay, well, I pooped that seed out. That seed took root. And from that, they started to realize maybe if I replant this and then, you know, they still hunted and gathered because that's what they knew. So it, it was a very, it was, it wasn't an overnight process. It took its time to fully develop. And you could argue even now it's not, st it's still not fully developed. I do find the concept that basically we just pooped out seeds. Like I would think like animals also dropping it, but I think. Oh yeah. But the problem is that an animal dropping it, you would sit there and you don't really know. Yeah. But if you're walking by the same area that you're in, you know, year after year, you probably are going to notice some things you especially if you have a site where you were staying because the animal herd wasn't hadn't moved on and you had been sitting there for a week or so and then you come back and there's just a bunch of plants that you know you know you've eaten and don't grow in that area all of a sudden there <laughs> so it's connecting those dots and we took to farming because, you know, it is a more readily available food source. It's it's there. But that's the problem is that it's not always there. And if you can't farm enough to sustain the population, that causes collapse. If you have bad seasons, that causes collapse. If you don't diversify your crops enough, that causes collapse. It, farming is a very tentative thing and in and of itself unstable. Yeah. We rely so much on the planet that we are currently killing with farming and other methods that it makes it unsustainable for us. And that's why, you know, if you have the ability, plant some crops in your backyard. Try to grow as much of your own food as you possibly can. I know that not everybody has that ability because... As, you know, farming took place and cities started to grow, especially nowadays with corporations deciding that the whole return to office bullshit. Um. <laughs> we almost had to do an edit. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> the whole return to office stuff. Uh, it's forced people into confined spaces and cities and then governments start to put ordinances in saying no you can't take in you know like if you want chickens so you can have eggs the area we live in they flat out refuse to allow you to have any livestock whatsoever and unfortunately it's that way in a lot of areas um i mean for goodness sakes recently the city we live in <laughs> 
passed a law that you can't feed the birds. Yeah, it's a no wildlife feeding law. No, yeah, but it's so vague that having your own garden, it literally means that if the animal comes up and eats something off of your garden, you can get ticketed for that. So in a way, it's kind of making it to where they are kind of banning gardens. And it's it's stupid. But instead of making things more sustainable and more accessible, the governments have gone out of their way to make it illegal. And in large part, that's because of large corporations petitioning and demanding that the governments do this, going, hey, I'm losing, you know, a fraction of a penny because more people are farming. Make that illegal. So it's at the end of the day, there's only so much we can do and only so much that you as an individual can do. But together we can, you know, change the governments. We can vote new people in that actually want that sustainable, you know, life the way we should live. Yeah. We can vote those people in that want to progress research into, you know, basically we can vote people in that actually believe in science. That's the key. <laughs> That's the key right there. We can vote people in that believe in science and we can vote people out that are in the pocket of corporations that just keep taking and taking and taking and never giving. So what I'm saying is vote. I don't know if there's any elections in your area right now. If there are, check them out. Vote. I was going to say local elections are probably one of the most important parts. Like we always kind of think of like federal level, but to be honest, it's your local council people and your mayors and stuff that impact your day to day. Yeah. The overall, the federal government, you know, yeah, you need to vote for them as well. I, it doesn't feel like it does anything. And oftentimes it's just a never ending process of trying. But if we want change, we have to be that change. As corny and cheesy as all that sounds. I was going to say, I thought that needs to be on a t-shirt. If we want, it probably is. <laughs> it probably is. So I'm going to stop my rant. <laughs> say that it sounds like a uh, Rock the Boat campaign from 2008. Yeah. Taking us back. So <laughs> at that point, yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up for this week. Um, you might have noticed the Kickstarter is over. We did technically hit Milestone 2. Um, however, we did not hit the main goal. So it is gone. But at least now we understand what we need to do going forward for our next attempt at a cookbook. And if you supported the Kickstarter, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want more information about what we're doing, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. You know, you can uh, hit us up on Facebook, on Messenger, um, even send us an email. Yeah. And we can give you information uh, about the next steps that we're going to be taking. We are going to do the cookbook. It's just going to take longer than what we originally were going to do. Yeah, and if you want to help us get there faster and also, you know, enjoy things like the bonus recipes and the um, ad-free podcast, feel free to become a patron on Patreon because literally I think it's one Canadian dollar a month. 
So what is that, like 73 cents? Yeah, it's like nothing. Um, uh, 73 cents USD. <laughs> if you live overseas, uh, England and Europe, then it's closer to like 50 cents or 50p. So... Consi- yeah. yeah, consider becoming a patron because we would love to have you and love to have you as part of our community. Um, but also it would be great because it can help us get closer to being able to self-fund this cookbook. Yeah, and it, you know, makes everything that we're doing completely possible. Exactly. You know, and maybe one day we'll be able to afford that $75 elk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. So thank you, everyone, and we'll chat with you next week. All right, bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.